Welcome to TopCast, where I'm speaking to you in the shadow of what was one of the greatest interviews, if not the greatest interview so far, of David Deutsch by Naval Ravikant on The Tim Ferriss Show. Now, this is unusual for The Tim Ferriss Show. Normally, Tim would be doing the interviewing. He did play a supporting role, as he said. I found it one of the most insightful overviews of David's work. And in fact, we had a lot of gems in there that David hadn't spoken about much anywhere else, from what I can recollect anyway. Well worth going to the Tim Ferriss show, if you're not aware that David appeared on there, and getting hold of that episode, because we're worth listening to more than once. You can easily find Tim Ferriss's webpage, of course, using Google. And there, not only is there a link to the show for download on your podcast platforms, but there is a comprehensive set of show notes. So if you're a fan of the work of David Deutsch, this is a wonderful one-stop place to get links to a whole bunch of related things. And yes, TopCast appears among them. What I loved about this interview that Naval and Tim did with David was, well, at certain points, Naval was unpacking David's worldview, and I'm going to get to some of that today, but also explaining how David had made these fundamental contributions to each and every strand of the fabric of reality. So not only does the beginning of infinity and the fabric of reality explain our deepest theories, namely epistemology and computation and quantum theory and the theory of evolution, but Naval was able to explain how David Deutsch himself had made seminal contributions to each of these areas. And that's rarely been done in an interview before. So I urge you to listen out for that in particular. Another highlight for me was David's wry sense of humour, which is easily able to escape people if they're not paying attention. Uh, around about 53 minutes in, he's talking about the distinction that he makes between artificial general intelligence and artificial intelligence. And he said, well, he said, quote, an AI, an artific a narrow artificial intelligence, an AI can only do the narrow thing that it's supposed to do. Like a better chatbot is one that replies in good English, replies to the question you ask, can look things up for you doesn't say anything politically incorrect. <laughs> and I thought that was a wonderful dig at the way in which some of this current crop of chatbots is being, let's say, massaged in such a way to ensure that it doesn't say anything too offensive to <laughs> contemporary ears, I suppose. <laughs> what is so attractive for me when even I, who've been explaining this for years now, listen to someone else talk about the worldview is just the logic to the whole thing. There's just such a, a logic to the worldview once you see it, so to speak. And this can sometimes be difficult for people, especially if they only understand one aspect of it or two aspects of it. You kind of need to see the whole to understand how it coheres together. And once you do, you're on the roller coaster, by which I mean, you're on the tracks and you're heading down that hill irrevocably. There's no going back. You are on the ride and there's no looking behind you to try and go back from where you came because some other force is pulling you forward. In the case of the roller coaster, it's gravity. In the case of David Deutsch's worldview, it's reason. It's reason. You simply see the world via this perspective that makes sense. And it's a perspective that you notice allows you to see the world differently. And when you're first going through the transition, you can sometimes compare both perspectives, the perspective you held and are escaping from, and the new perspective that you now adhere to. 
then as time goes on, like with me, I sometimes find myself in a position where I find it difficult to appreciate what it is I used to think about these particular things. What I used to think about believing in the science, for example, and now recognising that although science is the only way that we can generate reliable knowledge about reality, valid knowledge about reality, actual knowledge about reality, good explanations about reality, that nonetheless, it can all be completely false, or if not false in all respects, false in the final analysis. That can be jarring to people, and it can sound like a form of relativism, but it's not. It's just humble fallibilism, based upon this notion that what we are are people doing computations of a kind. An explanation is a kind of computation. No computer is perfect. They're error-prone, and so too will be our explanations. Therefore, and there's a lot of therefore going on. When you take on this worldview, you're looking at stuff differently. You're observing everything in a slightly different way, not just with your eyes, and you're not just observing physical things, of course. You're looking at science itself differently. You're looking at mathematics differently. All of knowledge differently. You're looking at people differently. You're looking at them as genuine equals in a scientific sense, not merely some sort of spiritual sense, although it has that sense to some people sometimes. You look at the old way, the other ways that people have of looking at the world in terms of justifying their beliefs and in terms of relying upon the authority of science and scientists. And you look at those things and, and, and the finiteness of the capacity of humans to change the world or the finiteness of the resources that we have or the fact that we aren't super beings and super intelligences, but those super intelligences are coming. All of those other ways of looking at the world, you look at those as finite, as an end in some way, as very limiting, as debasing of people, debasing of knowledge, a poverty of opportunity, as constraining, restrictive and coercive. Uh, but with David Deutsch's worldview, you have tools at your disposal, not merely a worldview, but these tools that allow you to combat bad thinking. But at the same time, you never think of yourself or your side, the other people who agree with you, as any better or any less error-prone. Because you know, as part of this worldview, that all of us are fallible and flawed all the time. But we can improve. We can always make progress. Always. Off into an infinite future. So your mind expands to take into account these infinite possibilities, these genuinely infinite possibilities, physically, abstractly, as a matter of time off into the infinite future for humanity and civilization. Your mind expands to take on physical reality as far larger than anything that you ever thought it could have been. The scope and scale of opportunity that you see before you and before humanity is utterly unrivaled in any other picture of the universe. Now, David Deutsch is extremely modest about these things in the sense that he thinks that his contribution is footnotes to Popper and he says it again in this interview. Now, of course, I notice myself when I read through the work of Popper, you can see echoes of Popper in David Deutsch. Absolutely, the imprint is there. But, okay, I can take that on board. But as a person who has been doing this for a while and studying both of them, for quite some time, I must say that Popper doesn't really invoke the cosmic significance of physics, for example, in the same way that Deutsch does. And really, 
lays it out explicitly for you. David presents a grand vision of science, and in particular the physical sciences, but not only, of course, the biological sciences as well, as having this deeply fundamental role in the universe, in able to shape, being able to shape the universe, and through us. And that's not something you quite get from Popper. And David, of course, presents something that I think that Popper really just it goes by Popper's philosophy altogether. And it's no fault of his. Popper was making huge leaps and advances in the philosophy of science and epistemology broadly and the philosophy of history and so on and so forth, political philosophy. So this is no, this is, this is no complaint about Popper. What I'm saying is that when David says he's doing footnotes to Popper, I think it's far grander than that in particular. In particular, and what Naval and I have focused on is this kind of optimism that David Deutsch presents us with. It is not, as some people have misconceived recently, I've noticed. It is not. Optimism, in David Deutsch's sense, is not about thinking that everything's going to be rosy or that everything is rosy or should be looked at through rose-coloured glasses. It has nothing to do with that. In fact, it's almost the opposite of that. It says there's going to be problems. That sounds bad. But the optimistic part is they can always be solved by people unless there is a law of physics standing in the way. And even where there is a law of physics standing in the way, usually that problem that you think is a problem is not in fact a problem. The laws of physics don't present us with problems. They just tell us what is possible and impossible. Again, another part of David Deutsch's deep philosophical understanding of the way in which knowledge grows through his most recent advance, the philosophical and physical theory that is constructor theory. So if you're new to all this, or if you're not, if you're an old fan you've been watching since the beginning, I want to go back through some of the archives, so to speak, and to point out what Topcast is about and what this philosophical worldview entails. Because Topcast is kind of obtuse. It is a strange podcast at times. It's not one of these ones where people do interviews with guests. I've had one guest, that's David Deutsch himself, and I'll probably get him back at some point. I might do some more interviews in the future, but Topcast is primarily, or started out primarily as an attempt by me to simply understand these books that David Deutsch had put out because they stood apart. I was a geeky, nerdy kind of kid who used to like to read lots and lots and lots. And I really enjoyed all the books that I could get my hands on, whether they were fantasy and science fiction or popular science or rigorous scientific texts. And although I had read The Fabric of Reality, I read it before podcasts were even a thing, it wasn't until the beginning of infinity that I realized, well, look, here's a book that is so important, merely telling people to read it, or buying it as a gift for someone, wasn't enough. This was something that had to be spread to the masses. It needed to be unpacked properly, even if only for myself, which is the way in which I first started the podcast, as I say. Reading through passages in the book and representing them in my own words. And it was that way that I felt that I began to ground myself, so to speak, in the content of the worldview, of the way in which we approach absolutely everything that a human can approach. And so there is some disagreement on that, that, well, does this contain everything? Well, it doesn't contain everything except insofar as I think people should approach the world and every interaction they have, whether it's other books and other thinkers, reading and writing, the business world, the family world, whatever it happens to be, in a spirit of 
reason. Because reason is unbounded. But what is this thing, reason? What is this capacity to understand? And it doesn't matter whether the understanding is explicit, you can write it down in words, or inexplicit, where you can't. Understanding could be, you understand how to ride a bike. You understand how to catch a ball. Those things might not be able to be easily captured in words, but they are part of reason, a reasoned conception of the world. And at the moment, the best encapsulation of reason that I'm aware of, and believe me, I have tried to search for others. I'll talk about some of those in this episode. This worldview presented in the beginning of infinity in the fabric of reality is the one that coheres and as far as possible is able to explain many of the strands of reality, the way in which we would approach an understanding of the world. So once I finished going through the beginning of infinity, I realized that really what I was interested in doing here was trying to generate more knowledge about knowledge, trying to explain explanations. And so, of course, next on the list was the fabric of reality, but I found I was doing other episodes as well on TopCast. So let me give a rundown of what the episodes are, and perhaps even if you're a long-time listener, some that you may have missed or some that might pique your interest again. Now, TopCast is available on YouTube, where at least some of the episodes are intended to be viewed as videos. However, all of them are available as audio on all podcast platforms. Everything's free and everything's ad-free as well. I've always done this as a labor of love. It's a community service, so to speak. I think these ideas are very important, especially for this moment in history. We need more optimism. We need more appreciation for the central role that people play in making the world a better place. And the fact that we don't need to be down all the time, individually, and as a civilization, we have so much to look forward to. The world continues to get better. This optimistic view of the world is a strong theme that runs through every episode of the podcast, I would hope. If you go to YouTube, you will see me there. And if you click on the tab that says videos, then you can scroll all the way back to the very beginning of where TopCast began. Or you can go to any one of the podcast platforms from Apple through to Podbean through to Spotify and scroll all the way back to episode one. Sometimes the numbering is a bit different on Apple Podcasts and compared to other things. If you do go to YouTube and you do scroll all the way to the very beginning of the list of videos that I have, you'll find a bunch of resources there from back in the days before I was doing podcasting at all. There is a version of TotCast, which I have up there, and I don't have all the episodes there, numbered TotCast episodes 3, 4, 5, uh, 6, and 7. And those are from a previous iteration of TotCasts, where I was explaining things like the nature of mathematics, limitations of mathematics. And there, that was a primitive version of TotCast. And the way in which I would phrase things now might be subtly different. I might have completely changed my mind. However, on some other things, like, for example, the episode called The Problem of Induction, which goes for 43 minutes and 37 seconds, I won't have changed my mind. There's some stuff there from when I used to teach physics, for example. So there's a long video about the photoelectric effect, which is one of the seminal experiments that can be conducted within the field of quantum theory to show that light has this quantum property. It comes in discrete packets of energy. And you can the experiment that I do allows you to calculate Planck's constant from graphing some data. 
my training, my master's, my science degree was in astronomy and astrophysics. So I've got a presentation there from when I taught astrophysics. And so there's some stuff there about that. And there's some stuff on critical and creative thinking, which I still endorse to this day. Moving through my videos, there's a bunch of stuff there that are short videos about knowledge in general. There's one there about free will, consciousness, creativity, and choice. Something about subjective knowledge, which is something that Popper actually talked about. Popper's main thing was objective knowledge, but he actually had an essay about subjective knowledge, and I try to explain that as well. What I'm saying here is that not everything that I produce is the beginning of infinity and the fabric of reality. There is other supporting materials, so to speak, emblematic of the fact that not everything is to do directly with the beginning of infinity is there is a reaction video that I did. It's titled, Reason, What Is It? And it's comments on Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson in conversation with Greg Salmiri and Yaron Brook. Salmiri and Brook are philosophers and popularizers of the philosophy of Ayn Rand. And, well, everyone knows who Jordan Peterson is and, and Dave Rubin is a journalist. And so they're talking about what reason is. And of course, I think they get it completely wrong. <laughs> well, if not completely wrong, I think they get, they make some crucial errors. They're not Popperian. They don't understand things about what conjectural knowledge is, for example. They don't understand things about fallibilism. And so I like to do commentaries on when other intellectuals try and explain reason and rationality, because even if it's objectivism, even if it's Ayn Rand, who is a relatively recent philosopher, they make the same old mistakes. If they don't make contact with Popper, then they're not presenting you with the most up-to-date version of our understanding of knowledge and reason, and rationality for that matter. But really, TalkCast itself, especially on the podcast platform, it begins with episode one, of course. And episode one is an introduction to the entire series, because I started putting out the audio podcasts about... 15 episodes in or so to the YouTube channel. So I'd created 15 or so episodes of the series on the beginning of infinity and then decided, well, let me take the audio from each of these and turn it into a regular audio podcast. But before I do that, let me create an episode one, which was an introduction. So on the audio platforms, you get this introduction, which is also available on YouTube as well, just as audio. And so that episode one of TopCast is TopCast, an introduction. Episode two is where I begin the discussion itself, the exposition of the beginning of infinity, chapter one, the reach of explanations. And these initial episodes are, well, well, I completely endorse the content of everything that I say there. I don't think that I would change much in terms of my language. The central message is exactly the same. The only thing that I would change if I was to re-record any of this stuff would be perhaps the confidence of the presentation. I'm a little bit halting. I'm not very well practiced in doing podcasting. I've been relatively well practiced in public speaking. No problem with that. But I didn't know how microphones worked. I'm still not, <laughs> I'm still not all that good with microphones and audio equipment and that kind of thing. The technical side of things is still my greatest downfall. Nevertheless, I'm better now. <laughs> I'm more confident now. And I kind of know how to engage a little bit better with things like podcasting, having been interviewed myself. But back then, I didn't know exactly how to do that thing. And also, I, as I say, I was making these early on purely for myself because I thought, if I can explain it out loud such that 
other people watching would understand what I say, then that means that I myself understand it. And so we begin with reach of explanations and then we move through chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. And, and on YouTube, it's very beginning of infinity heavy where I just go through absolutely all of the chapters, sometimes a single episode with a single chapter. But then other times, for example, we get to chapter four and you'll see it is split into two parts. The name of chapter four over the beginning of infinity is creation. There's part one and there's part two. Because in the beginning of infinity, it's sort of divided in two parts. There's creation in terms of how biological knowledge comes into existence via evolution by natural selection. And there's also, well, the creation of the entire universe, where David talks about this issue of fine-tuning, which is certainly a hobby horse of mine, one of my deep interests, having studied astrophysics and cosmology at university. This was one of my the most fascinating areas of that subject for me, and so something that I talk about uh, throughout TalkCast at various points. Around about that time of doing that episode, the creation part two fine-tuning, David Deutsch and Sam Harris had their second interview together, what was then called the Waking Up podcast, what is now called the Making Sense podcast. Sam Harris interviewed David Deutsch twice. The second time they spoke, they talked about Sam's book, The Moral Landscape. And what David thought about Sam's book, The Moral Landscape, David's view on morality, which is kind of similar to his view on reason broadly. And what these disciplines that we call, for want of another word, disciplines, science, mathematics, morality, philosophy, how it is that the methods within each, although subtly different, cannot possibly operate by completely different laws of epistemology. In other words, you can only create knowledge in the one way, and you're always fallible. So this concept of having a base foundation that can't be altered is misguided. It's as misguided in morality as it is in science and indeed mathematics. David's not a foundationalist. Now, if that sort of gets your hackles up and you think, well, that sounds ridiculous, well, I would urge you to listen to or watch that particular episode where I break down the breakdown in the conversation between Sam and David. Well, it wasn't a breakdown. It's just that Sam, even towards the end of the conversation, didn't understand where the disagreement was. And many listeners to that also didn't understand what it was David was disagreeing with. And this is one of the great difficulties sometimes with the worldview. And so as I explained that video, the difficulty is in language precisely because, and Sam Harris appreciates this, he's a brilliant man, he understood that David was using words like knowledge, belief, foundation, in a way that was different to Sam. And so although the words were the same, the languages were different because the intended meaning of the words was different. Is David being unfair by revolutionising language? No, because he's not. What David is trying to do is to explain what the words actually mean. And often he's cleaving to the common sense man on the street understanding of some of these words, like knowledge, for example. Do you know where your keys are? Yes, I know where my keys are. They're in my pocket. Now, what that doesn't mean is I'm absolutely certain and I have a justified true belief that my keys are in my pocket. You just know. That's your best guess. You've ruled out everything else immediately. You know that they're not on the moon. They're in your pocket. That's the last place you remember having them. Are you justified? Can you 
Have you felt your keys in your pocket? Perhaps you haven't. It's just that you, you know that that's where they are. You've got an explanation because why would they be elsewhere? This is what David means when he talks about something like know and knowledge. But what some professional philosophers or some professional podcasters often don't appreciate, and even when he's having a conversation with people, it completely goes over their head. <laughs> and so when there's a disagreement about something like, what should your moral foundation be? David says an explanation about how there shouldn't be foundations in knowledge, and this includes morality, and you can only have questions about what you should do next, and that requires you to create some knowledge and explanation about what would be best to do next. Having explained that, people will still come back at him and ask, but what is the moral foundation of the theory you're using in order to choose what to do next? <laughs> and so sometimes the discussion can go in circles. So that's an episode. And I think that remains, I think, my most watched episode ever, certainly on YouTube anyway. Some of the other episodes on uh, the podcast audio platform might, be, uh, might have more listens, so to speak. Having spoken to people about the beginning of infinity many, many times over the years, one of the chapters that comes up most for questions people ask me about is chapter 5. And chapter 5 is titled, The Reality of Abstractions. In that, David lays out the case of how not everything can be explained in terms of physical forces and particles. That there are these things we call abstractions that have real physical effects in the world, but are themselves not physical. And again, if that's blowing your mind or if that makes you think, ah, spirituality, ah, mysticism, ah, the supernatural, no. It has nothing to do with any of those things. It's not to do with anything supernatural. David spends a vast amount of time using many examples, even in his interview with Naval and with Tim Ferriss, denying that the supernatural is ever a good explanation, and especially in the beginning of infinity, makes that point over and again. So in the reality of abstractions, he is not appealing to the supernatural. He's appealing to reason. And saying that, things like mathematics are about abstractions. But what are these abstractions? How can these mathematical things that are abstract have effects in the physical world? That's why you should read the reality of abstractions. That's why you should get the book first. Read that chapter. And then if you're struggling watch my video where I try to explain using other examples what we mean by the reality of abstractions. That's spread over, again, two episodes. Chapter six is the jump to universality. A theme of David Deutsch's work is about universality, about how some systems have this quality we call universality. Chapter six, I won't explain more now, very fashionable at the moment, very timely, I suppose, is chapter seven, all about artificial creativity. So it includes discussions about AGI. AGI versus AI. AGI would be an artificially creative thing. In other words, artificial in the sense that it didn't arise via the means of evolution by natural selection, such as we did. It would have to be coded by us. Artificial creativity. Chapter 8 is a mathematical chapter about infinity and about ways that your intuitions might be challenged by the reality of infinity and what infinity does and can do. Chapter 9 is one of my favourites. It's simply titled Optimism. And so it is kind of the keystone chapter, really, where David outlines what I regard as one of his greatest contributions to Popper's philosophy, additions to Popper's philosophy. This is not a footnote. This is a capstone, if anything. The explanation of how people can change reality fundamentally. And 
As David said in his interview with Naval and Tim, astrophysics off into the infinite future will be a story of what choices people make, not merely about the effects of gravity and the temperature of gases. And so I spend three episodes discussing that chapter, the chapter on optimism. Chapter 10 is called A Dream of Socrates. It's the one that is most directly about the fine details of epistemology, written as largely a dialogue between Socrates, a god, Hermes, and Plato. Topcast episode 22, which in the YouTube videos comes after my discussion of chapter 10, A Dream of Socrates, is one of these episodes that comes up now and again, where I move away from the books altogether and I go to a technical paper. In this case, it's a technical paper that David has written, and it's an hour and three minutes of me discussing something called the logic of experimental tests. <laughs> and this is a heavy paper, but what I regard as the absolute best and the pinnacle of our understanding of the philosophy of science. This is David Deutsch, at his best, taking the work of Popper and taking it further, telling us about the role of the crucial experiment. Now, it's not to say that Popper didn't get this at all, but David is applying it to Everettian quantum theory, among other things, so the multiverse. He explains how the multiverse is testable, but also, of course, explains in part the central role that explanation plays and how in science, what the purpose of an experiment is. You might think, I know what the purpose of experiments is, but do you? <laughs> <laughs> Do you realise, for example, and again, I go to the interview with David, Naval and Tim, you need to have more than one theory to test the theory. There's no point doing an experiment, a crucial test, I should say, on a theory if there are no alternatives. After all, whatever the outcome of the experiment is, has to be, even if it's inconsistent with the theory, cannot tell you that the theory is false. Because if it's inconsistent with the theory, your best explanation is there's something wrong with your experiment. There's something wrong with your experiment. This is sometimes known as the Juham Quine thesis. David goes through that, and I spent an hour and three minutes talking about that. Personally, I find the paper absolutely fascinating. And for students of philosophy, absolutely essential reading. Next, we get to one of the epic parts of TopCast, I suppose. Here I spend five episodes discussing chapter 11. Chapter 11 is the multiverse. The multiverse, I think, was explained in The Fabric of Reality very, very well in chapter two called Shadows. But in The Beginning of Infinity, David introduces new concepts, this notion of fungibility. So I go through an introduction to quantum theory. I explain some of the important experiments that are there in quantum theory, establishing the need for us to invoke this thing called the multiverse, which is not merely parallel universes. So get that out of your mind. That's one of the first misconceptions, that these things are just purely parallel universes, other alternate realities which don't interact. They do. But more importantly, as Naval has pointed out, these are things are needed in order to explain the functionality of the quantum computer when it arrives. So five-part series. There's a playlist for the multiverse. But it's also one of those chapters, I do admit, where if you're not into physics, then you can skip past it. But I think that the entire the entirety of The Beginning of Infinity should be read. But okay, fair enough. If you're not into physics, 
then maybe you can skip ahead. Maybe you can skip ahead to chapter 12, which is one of the most fun chapters in the book, <laughs> just because it's about, it's about some absolute silliness that goes on in professional academia. The title of chapter 12 is A Physicist's History of Bad Philosophy. And it really is a history of bad philosophy. And in particular, what the intellectual community has done to us over the last few decades, the poverty of ideas that appears there in certain areas of professional philosophy. And you, think, you might think, what do I care about professional philosophy? Who cares? Well, philosophy is effectively upstream of the rest of academia, which is upstream of politics and culture. You better want to take note of what the philosophers are doing in university departments. For whatever reason, they tend to direct the way in which the other academics think. And the other academics tend to direct the way in which, well, anyone who defers to experts think. So the media and politicians, business people, they look to the academics because, hey, they're the experts. But who do the experts look to? The philosophers. Why? Well, it's a long tradition of this. In some sense, they should. This is what ancient Greek culture taught us. This is what some of the best civilizations that existed prior to our enlightenment, indeed, the enlightenment ourselves, taught us. We can do this again, but we have to have a criteria for what are the good philosophies and what are the not-so-good philosophies. That's what chapter 12 is about. Chapter 12 is essential reading. And I would say anyone who picks up the video of infinity, that's one place that you simply cannot miss is chapter 12. Spend time reading it and rereading it and understanding because even today we have bad philosophies. All that stuff you hear about critical theory, critical gender queer theory, that stuff, postmodernism, the stuff that animates Jordan Peterson so often. <laughs> well, it's just one part of David Deutsch's entire focus, but I find his razor sharp and clearly targeted at where it should be targeted. The relativists, yes, but the linguistic school of philosophy also. And I have a lot to say about that throughout Topcast and the various episodes where I touch on philosophy. Chapter 13 is about choices, about rational choice theory. And that goes over two parts about how it is that we make decisions, how it is we make decisions, and whether or not we should weigh our options based upon, well, the preponderance of evidence, for example. This is misconceived. How could that be misconceived? Well, because people create new options. And so that's what choices is about. And then we get to one of the most controversial chapters of all in the beginning of infinity, which is chapter 14, Why Are Flowers Beautiful? Where David makes the case for objective beauty. He's not denying that there's subjective beauty, that everyone has their own taste, but he's making the case for something more than just that, more than just well, you can't say what song is actually better. Some people preferred Britney Spears and some people preferred Justin Bieber and there's nothing you can say about which one is actually better. Okay, fine, we all understand that. But is there an objective beauty out there in the world worth striving for? Is there a way in which to rank order aesthetic things? Well, a case is made in Chapter 14 that there are. Then on YouTube, I have an episode called Topcast, The Borders of Ideas. And this is a discussion about some of the work of Douglas Murray, where I'm talking about some of his views that broadly I support, but here I'm talking about the focus on uh, aspects of the immigration debate at times, whether we should keep certain people out, 
And my argument is it's not about keeping certain people out. It's about keeping sometimes ourselves protected from very bad ideas. And this is an important distinction to make. And I make that case there. Recently, I've begun on TopCast to make shorts, as they're called, abbreviated versions of some of my episodes. But before this was a thing on the YouTubes, I was doing introductions. So there's an introduction to Popper and Deutsch that stretches over four episodes. There's an introduction to the introductions. And so those are worth watching if you just want a short snippet, a short introduction to these things. So I've got Deutsch Digest and Deutsch Discoveries, that's part two. I've got Popper Primer and then Popper Pieces, that's part two. And so those are worth watching for people that just want something much shorter than my usual half an hour, 45 minute or one hour episodes. Okay, so around there, on YouTube anyway, we have a discussion also of chapter 15. This is the evolution of culture uh, that spreads over three parts. It's very important because it contains David's exposition of some absolutely new insights into meme theory. And David explains the differences in culture between what are known as static societies and dynamic societies. This is a, an improvement upon Popper. Again, I don't think a footnote. I think this is an important improvement on open and closed societies, which is what Popper talks about. In terms of memes, anti-rational and rational memes. Anti-rational memes, the things that prevent people from criticising, that these ideas that prevent people from actually being able to improve their understanding of the world and improve their situation and their circumstance. And so this is a true discovery by David Deutsch, a true advance. And what Naval said was an advance beyond evolution by natural selection, which I think is quite right, that David Deutsch has made. So again, David Deutsch has made contributions to epistemology, to computation, to physics, and to meme theory. It sort of straddles both biological evolution and also epistemology. Now, if you're looking at TopCast, the audio-only podcast, rather than the YouTube version, you'll find that there are some slightly different episodes peppered in amongst the TopCast feed. For example, within the Multiverse series, the Multiverse series includes, for example, episode 24 of TopCast is part two of the Multiverse, episode 25 is part three, but then we get to episode 26 and it's something different altogether. It's called Problems, Knowledge and Wealth. And then episode 27 is Christian Atheists. And these things are not to do with, centrally, the beginning of infinity. There's something slightly different. And then we get back into, if you're on the audio-only version, episode 28 is back to being the multiverse. And so this is what I mean about sometimes we have these unusual episodes that appear in the audio feed. And sometimes some of the video ones, for example, those short snippets, the introductions to Popper and Deutsch, don't appear in the audio version. They're only on YouTube. Returning to YouTube though, once we've dealt with chapter 15, the evolution of culture, then David seamlessly moves into a very closely related chapter, which is the evolution of creativity. And so that is about, well, creativity arising both in biological evolution and in people as well. And what it was used for in people for rather a long time. I mentioned anti-rational memes earlier. And so that brings in this concept of ways in which ideas can actually misfire and cause us as human beings, as people who have 
the creative ability to improve to sometimes not improve because we've used our creativity to actually hamper our creativity. It's creativity directed at reducing creativity, which is something, unfortunately, that can happen. And at, at its very worst, it can cause an entire society to cease being creative and striving for improvements. And this is where we get this notion of stasis. And around about this time, as I do the evolution of creativity, chapter 16, across three parts, a part zero. When I say part zero, there's a number of episodes where I refer to the chapters as part zero. Part zero is where I do absolutely no reading from the chapter, but rather it's an introduction to the chapter. It's some um, pre-reading, if you like, often of other sources, or it could be just me laying the foundations of what I might have learnt at let's say, university about those things because some of my background is in philosophy and physics, for example, and so I might be telling you what the mainstream ideas are that are taught in academia about these things. But in this series here of The Evolution of Creativity, you'll notice on YouTube that there's a bunch of episodes here where I've really gone for something different. And so, for example, we have an episode just titled Free Will Exists, An Argument for the Busy. It's 26 minutes of me defending the thesis of free will, borrowing heavily from David Deutsch's copper atom argument, which will come up again later. There's also a fun episode there for those who are interested in this question of life elsewhere in the universe, and that's simply called Are We Alone? And I try and provide all the background that I'm aware of from my time studying actual astrobiology. Yes, it's a subject. It's a subject without subject matter, as one of the lecturers used to be fond of saying. We haven't discovered alien life yet. We haven't discovered life beyond the earth at all yet. So having a subject, astrobiology, seems a bit strange. But it's about, the serious science of it is about the constraints that can be placed upon how evolution by natural selection might work out there in the universe and how biological organisms, what they would need minimally in order to thrive somewhere beyond the earth. What are the conditions that might be needed? And then beyond that, what are the conditions that would be required for intelligent life to arise somewhere else? Are those conditions different? What are the arguments for and against? I don't come down on a particular side, but I do try to provide arguments that you may not have ever heard elsewhere. And people say things like, and this is a hobby horse of mine, that the number of planets orbiting the number of stars in the number of galaxies out there in the cosmos is astronomical. Astronomical. This is where the word astronomical really gains its currency. What I try to explain is that there are numbers much larger than astronomical ones, biological ones. The argument there is in Are We Alone? And I draw heavily on the work of, for example, a lecturer of mine, Charlie Lineweaver. And so I think that's a fun listen. After that are two more unusual episodes. One is called Cosmological Economics, the argument for infinite growth. One of these contentious issues about this idea of infinite optimism. The idea that we can have unbounded knowledge creation, therefore unbounded wealth creation, and therefore we can just continue to grow the number of human beings, not only on the planet, but throughout the cosmos, and gradually gain control of more and more of it. Therefore, economics is not bounded by limited resources, although that's ostensibly what the subject is about. Of course, we do at any particular moment in time have finite resources, and so this is why we have this thing called economics, so that we can exchange goods and services one with another in order to distribute via the free market these limited resources. However, this is the argument where I try to 
marry up Deutsch's ideas of unbounded progress and the infinite capacity of people to create knowledge, explanatory knowledge, gaining control over the universe, turning hitherto useless materials into actual resources. Here's my attempt to marry all of that up with the subject of economics. After that, a little interlude of just 12 minutes worth of an introduction to epistemology and the theory of knowledge. So well worth listening to for anyone who's brand new, for example, to epistemology, in particular to Popperian epistemology, which has nothing to do with justified true belief, justified belief or belief at all. Then we're back into creativity and on the audio version, we're up to now episode 50 of Totcast. And then into, again, one of the controversial chapters of the beginning of infinity. Of course, based upon reason, based upon our best understanding of science, it brings us to an appreciation of what human beings are capable of and what this thing is, the environment, and what those things are, resources. And this is chapter 17, Unsustainable, by David Deutsch. We hear this word, sustainable, that government policy should be sustainable, that we should have sustainable resources, that people should live sustainably. But what does this really mean? David Deutsch has his unique take on this, where there are two visions of what this word sustain means. On the one hand, to keep things the same, to sustain them, to keep them in their present state. And on the other to ensure that something has enough in order to thrive. And in the case of people, what we need in order to thrive, in order to thrive is change. We cannot keep things the same. We cannot sustain things as they always have been. We are unsustainable. The earth cannot sustain us. The only way to survive, the only way to survive is to accept we must make progress, which means constant change, which means changing the universe around us from useless materials into resources and then constructed into protections against a hostile environment in order to make our lives better. And if we care about them, the lives of other animals and other entities as well. Because we're the only ones that are going to be able to save everything else from future catastrophes, whether those be asteroids from outer space uh, viruses or the supernova going off or just eventually the sun expanding. Something is going to happen which will require much more knowledge and wealth than we currently have. Our circumstance is not sustainable. And so this is an argument against many of the pessimistic bad philosophies that drive modern environmentalism, for example. Although I've done a discussion of the chapter on universality, I have produced in episode 53 of TopCast, and it's there on YouTube as well, an episode called Understanding Universality, trying to unpack it a little bit further and to clarify things. Sam Harris is very animated by this discussion of free will, and he insists that there is no free will. He's written a wonderful book, which is a defense of a position that I used to hold myself, that there was no free will. It was incompatible with determinism. I provide yet another episode about that. And free will response is a response to Sam Harris in particular about that particular view. There's an episode that appears on YouTube there called Existence, just called Existence. And it is one of the first in the theme of making music videos, if you like. I put a soundtrack underneath some of these videos. I just happen to like this. I think that this works. Some people can't stand it. They don't want me to put music under any of my podcasts or videos whatsoever. And so 
a few of them, they appear twice. And we'll come to one of those in a moment. But existence is about what it means for something to exist, what it means for something to be real under Deutsch's view of this, as explained in particular in The Fabric of Reality. So I go through that there. We continue with unsustainable. We move on to something about existential risk, which also animates me, because I like to respond to the prevailing pessimism that exists out there as promoted by the intellectual luminaries of our time, people like uh, uh, Max Tegmark, Nick Bostrom, uh, Martin Rees, unfortunately, as well. People who are narrowly focused on this concept of existential risk, but looking at it through a lens of either we're going to destroy ourselves or we're incapable of saving ourselves. And in either case, we need to be pessimistic about the future because eventually the thing's going to happen that's going to wipe us out. There is the existential risk, the civilization level catastrophe that is coming. We stand on the other side of that debate where although we recognize there are such things as existential risks, we think... People are the most powerful entities in the universe, ultimately speaking. And we can overcome everything from viruses and natural disasters here on Earth to being swallowed by black holes or being destroyed by supernova. What, it, what is required is creating the knowledge of how to figure out how to do these things. We've already figured out how to prevent ourselves dying from the cold by creating houses that have heating, often heating provided by fossil fuels. So we've done that. We've invented clothes. This will only continue. This open-ended ability to create a stream of solutions to the ever-increasing stream of problems that we encounter. So long as we continue to solve them at a rate faster than they're likely to kill us, then we can survive. And we will survive if we maintain optimism. The understanding there's a possibility that whatever the problem is, it can be solved with some effort. The final chapter of The Big Infinity is called The Beginning. <laughs> it's called The Beginning. And so I won't say any more about that now, but that brings us up to the end of, almost the end of my discussion of The Big Infinity. Then there is one of my favourite episodes, and if I can be so immodest as to say, I think one of Naval's favourite episodes as well of TopCast, called The Nexus, which is about persons in the multiverse. I'm really focused on trying to understand what this thing, a person, is. Once we have an understanding of a person, then we can have a discussion about what genuinely AGI are. I don't know what an AGI is. I think it, I'm thinking more and more it has to be beyond the mere purview of our present understanding of epistemology. It has to be beyond our conception even of programming. By which I mean, I think there's something to be said for, as I title the episode, understanding what a person in the multiverse is. What does that mean? There are fungible instances of ourselves everywhere at every moment coexisting with us that differentiate from us. What does that even mean? Well, I try and grapple with this in an hour-long episode called Persons in the Multiverse. And that is, again, a soundtrack-accompanied episode. I like the music. I think it adds something to the mood. But if you can't stand it, this is one of those ones where I've produced it in two forms. There is a no music version for those of you who can't stand my choice of music. Of course, there's issues with copyright, so I can only pick stuff that I've paid for. I have to actually pay for a license to use some of this music. After the beginning of infinity, I've then commenced discussing Chiara Marletto's The Science of Canon Kant. This is a wonderful introduction to 
David Deutsch's constructor theory. Chiara Maletto is the chief researcher aside from David Deutsch on constructor theory. She's written the first popular science book, and it's very accessible about constructor theory. And it goes through everything from what the theory is about through to our deepest understanding of what knowledge is at the moment as well. So I'll come to that later. I've done an episode on quasars, again, returning to my roots as someone trained in astrophysics, but also connecting the astrophysics to David Deutsch's epistemology and philosophy and physics, because he often invokes quasars as an example of something that is just so different from the physics of the human mind. And yet, it's the physics of the human mind that understands what is happening in that system that we call a quasar. And so connecting these two extremely different systems is a wonderfully deep fact about our universe that this thing can happen, that one thing, the mind, can come to resemble the other, a quasar. Alongside the science of Kanakan, I also began my breakdowns of the fabric of reality. Fabric of Reality, David Deutsch's first book, the first chapter of which is called The Theory of Everything. So that begins also on TopCast. I then make some remarks about crypto. I'm certainly not a Bitcoin expert, but I was absolutely fascinated as I dove into this. And Naval Ravikant gave me a good schooling in this, you know, listening to his discussions with Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan and, 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 and various other places where he has discussed this at length. I became fascinated more by Ethereum than by Bitcoin because of the universality of Ethereum. And so I remarked, I made some remarks about crypto there, uh, which might be insightful for some just because I'm coming at it from a computational universality perspective rather than anything else. But there are remarks there for anyone who's interested in crypto that, that, might, that might be of interest to some people. Once I've completed the beginning of infinity altogether, I then interviewed David Deutsch. Of course, I did. I had to talk to the man himself about the beginning of infinity. And so I have questioned him about the book. And I split up the questions and made separate episodes with introductions by myself to each question that I asked him and then provided my question and then his answer as well. So um, including there's one there, um, David Deutsch comments on the recent... UFO sightings, the UAPs, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon stuff. So worth listening to David Deutsch about that. But also asked him a question about truth. This was something that Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris were at loggerheads about. So get David Deutsch's view on that. The Scientific American, just like Nature the Journal, now and again produces absolute rubbish when it comes to <laughs> certain articles, editorials, whatever under the guise that it comes with the authority of science. Often it doesn't. So in this episode, it's not scientific and it's not American, I explain what I think is wrong with a certain scientific American article and let's just say the whole culture that sometimes academia has with respect to resources and the role of humanity in the universe. I was interviewed by Christopher, the host of Do Explain, another podcast which has featured David Deutsch and various others within the community of people who promote his ideas and so I was interviewed there in two parts so uh, that's up there on my website. We then move on to more about the fabric of reality. There's my discussion of chapter two shadows. Chapter two shadows is where I always point people to, chapter two of the fabric of reality is where I point people to if they 
really want to be persuaded of the multiverse. David Deutsch lays out a simple experiment there that is a real experiment that uh, can, can be done, uh, that is done, that is done often as a demonstration. And this experiment can only be understood in terms of the multiverse view of quantum theory. I then do an ironic defense of socialism, <laughs> a critique, if you like, as well. Some more science of canon Khan, including the science of information. So I've got information theory spread over two parts. The second of my interviews with Christopher Van Du Explain. And so both of those together provide you with a, a background in well, certainly my perspective on things as informed by David Deutsch and Karl Popper. And then we get to something quite academic indeed, which is a paper by Karl Popper called The Aim of Science. The Aim of Science. It was a professional philosophical paper that he wrote. And my breakdown of that over an hour and 13 minutes. So if you're a real philosophy buff and you really want to get down into the nitty gritty of what science genuinely is, and this is the paper for you. And of course, I update it with what Deutsch has said in light of his discoveries, uh, especially in terms of the logic of experimental tests, which I think is, the, as I say, the pinnacle of our understanding of the philosophy of science. I've written over my years uh, being involved in education on things like critical and creative thinking. I have my perspective on that. I think Karl Popper explained what critical and creative thinking are. But now it's just a fashionable term that's used in academic circles and I think they often get it quite wrong. So my view of critical and creative thinking is there in critical and creative thinking 2.0. Okay, so it's the updated version of my most recent thoughts on this. Chiara Maletto's Quantum Information, Chapter 4 from the Science of Canon Khan. Fallibilism, a video that I think is so important for people new to the work of David Deutsch to understand. What is this thing, fallibilism? Fallibilism is not relativism, and it's not dogmatism. It's the one thing that rejects both and is able to reject both and allows us to continue to have the possibility of continual progress by accepting that all of our theories can contain error, but we are the error correctors. We are the knowledge creators. Because we are fallible, we cannot have the final answer, and that's a good thing. That means that progress is always possible. David has said that, you know, kind of Popper might have only had one idea from which he derived everything else. And this is the way in which the whole worldview of David Deutsch kind of works. But in terms of Popper's philosophy, Popper had the idea that people encounter problems and then they want to solve them. So this is the problem-centered approach of all of reason, all of philosophy, all of science, all of mathematics is about having a problem. And so the fabric of reality, chapter three, is called problem solving and is very much an exploration of that. And so this is my exploration of that chapter in two parts. More questions from David. And eventually I get to something called wealth and the conflict of ideas. And wealth and the conflict of ideas is me discussing misconceptions about capitalism and the free market, which I regard as synonymous and other people reject that notion that they are synonymous. I think that they are. I follow... Well, a number of people in this, but in particular, Yaron Brook, who I think is a wonderful expositor and defender of capitalism. And you can marry this up with, on the one hand, my praise of him there with my critique of him in this one, which is computational universality, where Yaron Brook has a go at Sam Harris for his views on the mind and the idea that people's minds are, or people's brains are meat computers. 
which is something that Sam Harris says, which is correct because of computational universality. You have to understand that. Euron Brook doesn't, unfortunately, understand that. He doesn't understand the physics and the universality of computation. Saying something is a computer like a mind is not denigrating it. It's not denigrating it any more than saying it's made out of matter, any more than saying that uh, the brain contains 75% water. That doesn't denigrate it. It's just, a, it's just a fact that the brain is computing stuff. Now, it's doing something very different to every other computer, but that doesn't mean it's not a computer. <laughs> it's got a special kind of software which we call the mind on it. Anyway, so if you want to see my discussion of what Euron thinks of Sam and what Sam's view of the mind is and where it might be flawed, this is my explanation of that in light of what David Deutsch has said about computational universality, explanatory universality, and the possibility of creating knowledge, which is what people do. Here I begin also my discussion of Stephen Pinker's rationality, chapters one and two. Stephen Pinker is a world-renowned intellectual and author who presents in his book Rationality, one of his more recent books, the pristine version of what academics and your typical intellectual thinks about this term rationality and how to think correctly and properly and in an erudite way so that you make fewer errors and that kind of thing. Well, here's my view about all of that. Let's just say that although, of course, in order for a person to have such success as Steven Pinker, Sam Harris for that matter, anyone in academia, they have to know something about reason. They have to understand knowledge. There can still be errors. They do make errors. They don't understand Popper. Indeed, Steven Pinker basically just ignores the existence of Popper and Deutsch for that matter, although he, he was a great proponent of the work of David Deutsch. He, was a, he has praised the big work, the, 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 the beginning of infinity before, but to be honest, when he writes about these topics in rationality, it's as if he never read the book. I'm sure he did, but one of two things might have happened. One, he may have forgotten everything that he read there, or two, he read into the book something that he expected to read. He expected to see stuff about justified true belief and so on and so forth, and he didn't understand conjectural knowledge, and so he didn't understand it. This is why I do the podcast, you see? The reason that TopCast exists is for people like Steven Pinker, very intelligent people in my audience who perhaps don't have time like me or the interest to read the book, I don't know how many times now, Dozens of times. I've listened to the audiobook dozens of times. It took me a long time to really grapple with what was being said. And so not only did I have to produce a podcast to, I think, understand it better, but the podcast now serves as don't make the same mistakes as everyone else who reads it only once and doesn't quite get it. Take the lead from someone like Navarro Ravikant who has, says he's carrying around these two books, The Beauty of Infinity and The Fabric of Reality, uh, because they kind of serve as critiques of every other book out there, like Rationality, for example. So you don't need to read those other books. I do because I'm just interested in finding out where the errors are, what these people are thinking. <laughs> but these two other books, these The Beginning of Infinity and The Fabric of Reality, allow you to just spot errors everywhere else and to have an excellent understanding of our deepest knowledge. And so therefore, you can see the errors that people are making and you can see the opportunities for progress and the opportunities for moving forward where others don't. 
Okay, and so more about the science of can and can't. My favorite chapter from the science of can and can't is there about knowledge and Chiara describing knowledge as resilient information, information that remains in place over time and actually can become the most resilient structure in the universe eventually. It will be the thing that persists over time because it's useful, because we will preserve it. We get to my retrospective, episode 99 of TotCast, and there on YouTube it is, 1 hour and 39 minutes and 1 second, so 99 minutes, exactly. It's hard to edit that, <laughs> to edit just right, but it's my retrospective, where I actually go through every single chapter uh, and provide a summary of just the beginning of infinity. And that's followed by episode 100, the celebration episode where my, the, the interview with David Deutsch in its entirety is there. So previously I just had separate uh, episodes with an introduction by me to each of the questions, but this contains more content, a substantial amount more content than just the other ones as well. Episode 101 was my first AMA, first Ask Me Anything, just what you get. Uh, after that was something I called The Thin Veneer, again another one of these music videos where Joe Rogan is in conversation with Blair White and Joe Rogan says some... I find Joe just such a wonderfully curious fellow, highly intelligent, but his mind is open to possibilities, you know, without fully endorsing craziness. Okay, so sometimes he goes a bit far with the alien thing, but so what? I think this is good. He's not saying that he... That you, I've listened to enough episodes of Joe Rogan to know that he's an entertainer and just a curious guy. He's not a full-on conspiracy theorist. Anyway, so what I'm responding to here is something he says, which I just find, because he's a spiritual kind of a guy, but it syncs up with what I regard as a realistic conception of the world, informed by some of the content in David Deutsch's book. David Deutsch's work allows for mystery and a sense of awe at the cosmos. It's not a narrow, denuded of inspiration view of science it is quite the opposite it is grand wondrous vision about what people are and what the cosmos and our place within it amount to i then do another ama then the highly provocative episode that i'm often tweeting out on on twitter which is are we running out of resources my answer is no and i explain why more fabric of reality stuff I try to succinctly explain what is a good explanation, succinctly, in 20 minutes. <laughs> I then began a newsletter, and so you can find my newsletter on Substack. It contains different content to what is on TalkCast. That's very intermittent. It's just well, stuff that takes my interest that might not fit within the regular TalkCast feed. But the first episode, the, the name of the newsletter is The Three R's, Reality, Reason, and Rationality. And so an introduction to that is actually in the TalkCast feed more about rationality, then some more newsletter stuff. One of my favourite episodes that I've produced that I'm, I guess I'm proud of is Objective Knowledge here. It's an audio-only version, but it's there on YouTube as well, but you don't get to see my head, just listen to my voice. And this is my understanding of the state of play of what objective knowledge is in 2022, 2023, 2024. <laughs> this is where I think the state of play is now with objective. Objective knowledge was a book written by Popper to explain his vision of knowledge and how it is created and how it is checked against reality and so forth. David Deutsch updated this 
And so this is my synthesis of these two great minds and what I think we can say objective knowledge is. So I've called it an explanation for the 21st century. More newsletters. Then we get to work and heat where I do a little, <laughs> a little demonstration about heat pumps and, and engines, heat engines. Uh, this is again about thermodynamics from the science of Canon Kant. More newsletters, something about energy. Another ask me anything. Then after some fabric of reality, we get to origins. Again, there's a music version, there's a non-music version. This is about the first images that were released by JWST, the James Webb Space Telescope. Very exciting for anyone who's ever had any interest in astrophysics whatsoever is the new space telescope that's up there. So this is my scientific explanations of what these images are, these first images that came out. I love doing reaction videos, and in fact, everyone loves me doing reaction videos. They are among my most popular videos is when I tackle other podcasters. In particular, when I tackle what Sam Harris might have said. I don't like to pour scorn on Sam Harris. I have great respect for Sam Harris. He is one of, of course, the most important voices of our time. But I do think he makes errors. And I do think that he can tend in the direction of pessimism. And I think it needs to be answered. His audience is obviously far greater than mine. He has far greater reach. And this needs to be answered. And so when he produces episodes like The End of the Global Order, <laughs> which was just about how the world's going to end. So many of his episodes are about how the world's going to end. It's very pessimistic. I feel I need to say something, and people seem to enjoy it. I've got another one of those coming out soon after this. In fact, it might be the episode after this where I'm going to do a breakdown of uh, yet another discussion that Sam Harris has with someone. Uh, so the end of Global Order, if you want to hear me talking about and responding to the content of a Making Sense podcast with Sam Harris. More from Steven Pinker. It's basically a critique at this point Once I'm, as I'm slowly making my way through rationality. I'm up to now chapter five and six, where I think Pinker's just getting the wrong end of the stick on uh, what, what, what it means to be rational. He thinks that we need to believe something based upon the weight of the evidence, and I think something quite different following what David Deutsch says in The Beginning of Infinity. I then have more analysis of another paper by Karl Popper, um, some more newsletter stuff, and then I produced a very long series about, again, this is another analysis of a Sam Harris conversation, this time with Max Tegmark, where I've called it things that make you go, hmm, and because every episode that I produced, it seemed to be about something beginning with M. So we've got metaphysics and misconceptions, we've got mathematics and multiverses, we've got minds one and two. And so you can have a look at this entire series of podcasts here. I found it a lot of fun. It's clips of Sam and Max talking about stuff. And, you know, Max likes to talk about different versions of the multiverse. And, you know, I sort of take him to task over the extent to which some are scientific and some aren't. His view of mathematics, which is informed by his view of physics, which I think is mistaken, his view of computation, his understanding of what metaphysics is and the role of knowledge in our capacity to create explanatory knowledge and all this sort of stuff. And of course, of course, Sam and Max are on the same page, largely when it comes to this question of superintelligence and AGI. And I think they are terribly misconceived, terribly mistaken about this in a dangerous way, quite seriously. Then I begin to produce shorts, these short videos here, um, which are, yeah, snippets, if you want, I suppose if you're getting bored of me talking for hours at a time, <laughs> here's something much shorter and more brief. Finally, I've completed 
the series on A Science of Can and Can't by Chiara Marletta. I'm yet to interview Chiara, but at some point I will have a discussion with her. I then move on to discussing objectivist epistemology because it's the one that people bring up most often on social media whenever they try and engage me in discussions about the work of David Deutsch and in particular the epistemology of Karl Popper and David Deutsch. They say, but hold on, Ayn Rand has already explained objective knowledge, objectivist epistemology. And I think there are no real advances or insights in the epistemology of Ayn Rand that go beyond what other people who came before her said. She attempts to use induction, and the way she explains things is the way that many other philosophers have explained things before. But I go to her sources and quote her and then explain why I think she and her followers in objectivism get epistemology wrong. I think they get a lot of other stuff right, in fact. I think they do a reasonable job in the area of morality, improving things there, and they do a reasonable job in, in talking about realism, but they get epistemology wrong. And so, respectfully, I, I go through um, quoting not only Ayn Rand, but also other people who claim expertise in objectivism, other philosophers of objectivism. At some point, David Deutsch won a prestigious prize called the Breakthrough Prize uh, for his contributions to quantum information and quantum computation. And so there's an episode there called Breakthrough Prize, or Who is David Deutsch? So if you want an introduction to David Deutsch, there we go, 19 minutes worth of an introduction to David Deutsch. There's an episode called Karl Popper vs. the Rest, and... Then I get into a lengthy discussion about this paper that appears in the book, Conjectures and Refutations, right at the beginning there, but it appears elsewhere as well, called On the Sources of Knowledge and of Ignorance by Karl Popper. And so I explain knowledge and ignorance because I think it is the preeminent contribution that Popper made to epistemology in a succinct way. But again, it's written at a time and in a style where English was subtly different. And so... Although mere decades have passed, it's a long enough time, and especially because he's writing in a style of professional philosophy, even though I find him far clearer than most other philosophers, that sometimes it can be difficult to unpack. And it's important to unpack these things, I think, for the layperson to understand. Still making my way through the fabric of reality, and so we're up to the significance of life. Still making my way through Pinker's rationality, and so up to chapter seven there as well. Knowledge and ignorance goes on for uh, you know five episodes, so that continues. Another effectively an ask me anything kind of episode, but I I talk about tweets on Twitter that that have caught my eye over recent times. A really important episode that I find is one that I produced called Degrowth where I unpack an article in Nature. This article in Nature is somewhere, it sits somewhere between just complete opinion, editorial, and peer-reviewed journal paper. It's hard to tell. The way that Nature the Journal passes it off, it would seem as if it's a peer-reviewed piece of research, but it's a political treatise. And so I take issue with that, especially with this dangerous philosophy of degrowth, an hour and a half, I explain what degrowth is, then I explain my criticisms of it. And I have a laugh along the way. So um, if you're interested in degrowth, the plan for civilizational decline and disaster, have a look at that one. It's got quite a few views as far as my videos go. Small time channel, but, you know, as of today's date, you know, 24th of March, 2023, 
1,300 views three months ago. So uh, that one I, I quite enjoyed making and I think people have enjoyed watching it. I always say I can't take credit for the ideas that I espouse here. I take responsibility for the errors that I make, but I'm not often presenting anything unique here. I'm not a professional philosopher. I'm not a professional physicist. If anything, I'm a communicator, a conduit of ideas. I repackage things. <laughs> but here in this episode, consciousness and creativity, a relatively recent one, 17 minutes and 30 seconds worth. It's got 2,300 views. That's pretty good for me. This one, I take a bit of a leap. I'm conjecturing things myself about the nature of consciousness and about the nature of creativity and whether these things are the same thing or not. So although I am certainly riffing on what David Deutsch has said in the beginning of Infinity, I am substantively going a little further. So I'm not saying that this is what David Deutsch said. You know? In fact, in none of my episodes should I say that, except when I'm quoting him. I'm very careful to quote him. But in this one in particular... This is all me, <laughs> or largely me. Anyway, listen to that for my views on consciousness, if you happen to be interested in that kind of a thing. Another professional philosophical paper is discussed. This one about the nature of philosophy itself and the debate between Wittgenstein, who thought that all of philosophy reduced to language puzzles, this is the linguistic school, and Popper, who thought there were genuine philosophical problems, that philosophy actually solves stuff that is important for people to survive and thrive and for science to continue to do its work so this is the great debate and so this is my discussion of that particular debate knowledge and ignorance goes on to part six where i reach the conclusion and then a you know another talking twitter another ama style thing and then <laughs> a really fun episode uh knowledge for the next millennium a message for the next millennium 28 minutes and 37 seconds of me <laughs> warning people about the end times. <laughs> so uh, that one's more lighthearted, but with obviously a, a deep message from the theme that runs through you know, all of TopCast here. Population three stars. This is the first of my episodes in science news from a critical rationalist perspective, so to speak. I'm going to be doing these regularly, as regularly as I can to fit it in between all the other stuff that I do. As you can see, TopCast is rather strange, as I said. So I'm, I'm beginning to do news because I know that other science popularizers are out there doing science news and the way in which they present it, uh, it's either like they're presenting it as religion, you know, as an authority, something like that. I want to withhold judgment on these things and to say where it is we know something and where it is we don't know something. We're up to quantum computers as of the day I'm making this. When it comes to the fabric of reality, part two, there will have to be a part three. Then a discussion of an academic paper by David Deutsch. David Deutsch wrote a paper called It from Qubit. This was in response to a paper by uh, his mentor, one of his mentors, one of the people who inspired him, John Wheeler, the great physicist, who wrote a paper in which a thesis was presented called It From, it from Bit. It From Bit. And John Wheeler's uh, hypothesis, conjecture there, was that at base everything was information and not physical. And I discussed David Deutsch's response to that thesis. And then I'm up to today. And so this is now where we're up to today, an experimental test of the quantum multiverse, which was taken from my multiverse series. For anyone who was watching, anyone who's listening to the Tim Ferriss interview who might have wanted more information about that. So this is what TopCast is as of now. And TopCast will continue on discussing the work of David Deutsch. We have 
more to discuss from the fabric of reality. I want to get through Rationality by Steven Pinker, tidy things up there, explain why those mainstream views are wrong, continue to have interaction with people via Ask Me Anything episodes as well. But that'll do for today. As always, if you would like to support me, www.bretthall.org is the webpage. And there are links there to Patreon and PayPal. But until next time, bye-bye.